the immigration minister was doing the media rounds today um, to address concerns about the federal government's plans announced in November to welcome half a million new immigrants to this country per year by 2025. The reason why I think a lot of Canadians are fully supportive of immigration, uh, but some policymakers out there are concerned about the potential impacts of that many people on health care, housing, the labor market. Will there be enough jobs? Will there be enough homes? Our health care system is already in trouble. Are we sure that we're prepared for this? Right. I think that's the general tone of it. Um, Sean Fraser, the immigration minister, says increasing immigration will help us address labor shortages as well as demographic changes. The reality is if we don't continue to increase our immigration ambition and bring more working age population and young families into this country, our questions uh, will not be about labor shortages a generation from now. They're going to be about whether we can afford schools and hospitals. So that is one debate that's been going on about immigration of late. Another one is Ottawa facing pressure to do something to curb the tide of asylum seekers crossing into Canada on foot on something called Roxham Road, which is on the Quebec-New York state border. It's a five-kilometer stretch of rural road that you can actually walk along. Um, Part of the issue suddenly now is a tragedy there. A 44-year-old Haitian national, a man froze to death after being caught in a snowstorm and getting lost while trying to make the crossing there in that area last month. It comes as more than 34,000 people crossed at that same crossing between January 1st and November 30th of last year, the majority of them crossing uh, official ports of, or outside official ports of entry are doing it there. They fly to New York, uh, take a bus to Plattsburgh or Burlington, get a cab and cross. Why do they do it? Um, there are many reasons. But under the 2004 Safe Third Country Agreement, refugee claimants who enter Canada outside an official port of entry, so not an, not an official border, must be processed in Canada and cannot be immediately returned to the U.S., Claimants who come through official entry points of entry, a border, for instance, or official points of entry, are sent back to the U.S., which is, of course, what many are trying to avoid. Now, over time, Quebec's Premier, Francois Legault, has been asking Ottawa to close that crossing. In other words, to try to stem the tide of these irregular border crossings. Now, federal conservative leader Pierre Polyev is also calling for the same, saying he can understand the desperation that leads migrants to cross into Canada through unofficial points of entry, but he'd like to see it stop. That is a reality. It is not legal to cross at that point. And we need to fix the system so that people come here through the normal points of entry. And that, that, that is two, a two-step process. Renegotiate the deal with the Americans and speed up the processing of immigration generally. Of course, the backlogs there are astronomical these days, but what would closing... Uh, that crossing specifically, but what would cracking down on irregular crossings broadly accomplish? Would it work? Could it work? Joining me now is Chantal Deloge. She is a senior partner with the Deloge Law Group in Toronto and a lawyer who specializes in immigration and refugee law. Thank you for your time tonight. Thank you for having me. When you see reports of someone having died trying to make that Roxham Road crossing, which is a pretty straightforward crossing if you follow the road, what does it say to you? Because it, it can be a divisive issue, can it? Yeah, definitely can. Um, it, what it evokes for me is that 
the Western world has made it so difficult for asylum seekers to get to safety that the system basically drives people into taking desperate measures. And that includes sometimes, you know, walking across a farmer's field in Manitoba in the middle of the winter without a proper jacket. And sometimes, as in this case, you know, trying to cross in Quebec as well. A lot of people in public, I think, they get a very stilted view about refugees. They wonder why people resort to this as if they had any other choice. I mean, if people had a normal means of seeking safety in a Western country without risking their life this way, they would definitely do it. And yet it also always evokes that, um, as you put it, always brings up that question of waiting your turn, so to speak, because there are lots of people who'd like to come in versus jumping the line. And I would imagine you probably think that's probably a bit of a false, a false dichotomy. It's definitely a false dichotomy because in order to come to Canada as a refugee, if you don't enter the country by the means that some of these people are are resorting to, you have to actually uh, usually be sponsored by a private organization in Canada or you have to come through the UNHCR. Both of those means of coming to Canada take years and years of waiting. And if we look at the private sponsorship category, you actually have to have an organization in Canada that's willing to sign a sponsorship for you. And most people don't have access to those kinds of resources. So assuming that neither one of those options works for you, there is no other way to come here as a refugee. Uh, It becomes impossible. So the barriers that we've set up, they force people into this situation. Tell me a bit about the Safe Third Party, the Safe Third Country Agreement, because I I understand that it can be misconstrued sometimes, but under most people's understanding is that if you land in the U.S., you're supposed to file a refugee application from the U.S. since it is a, a third country. Yeah, so the way that agreement actually works is that if a person lands in either Canada or the U.S., the presumption is that they should make their claim in the country where they first arrive, and they shouldn't go to the other countries seeking to what people call asylum shopping, you know, just because you like the other place better. There are exceptions to that rule. One of the main exceptions is that if you're already boots on the ground in Canada, you bypass the safe third country agreement. So if if you show up at a port of entry and report yourself to a CBSA officer, you would be turned back. Whereas if you manage to get into Canada and already have your feet on the soil inside Canada, you get around that rule. It, It sounds like on its face, if you don't know a lot about the actual conditions for refugees, you would think that the rule makes sense, right? The first place where you arrive, that's where you should make your claim. But the problem is the U.S. is really really problematic when it comes to how they handle asylum cases. Their approval rates are drastically lower than they are in Canada, for no appreciable reason, by the way, because we're applying the same international laws. So how how do you really account for that variation in in the acceptance rate? The other thing is the U.S. uses a lot of detention mechanisms on refugees. You know, someone just seeking to innocently look for safety in a country, all of a sudden they get thrown into jail in the U.S., which is something that Canada doesn't do. So there are many, many reasons why people would want to come to Canada and prefer it over the U.S., not the least of which is the chance of being accepted here is that much greater. Yeah, I, I suppose if you flip that on its on its head, though, you might say that Canada's 
rules are too lax, and therefore we get you know forty thousand plus people walking across that border alone at Roxham or thirty five thousand last year. Um, it seems like a lot of people, and you wonder how do you fix that before the perception of it becomes the problem as opposed to the reality as you're painting out very aptly. Yeah. So, well, first of all, I would challenge the statement that that's a lot of people. Uh, If you look at the mass movement of refugees all over the world, Canada receives such a tiny, tiny fraction of the overall number, primarily because of our geographic isolation. It's virtually impossible for people to actually make it here. Uh, So the ones that do make it here are just a little drop in the bucket compared to what other countries are hosting. Like if you look at places like Turkey, Right, um, Lebanon, yeah. Pakistan, yeah, and, and even some European countries as well. Like, you know, if we look at Turkey, for example, we're talking about millions of refugees. Uh, Lebanon has a population of 4 million people. And uh, during the Iraqi and Syrian conflicts, they were hosting about a million refugees. That's like 25% of their population. So, I mean, we really have it pretty easy here in Canada when it comes to overall numbers. But if we want to talk about fixing a problem, I mean, if one considers that crossing the, you know, the the border and making a refugee claim in Canada is a problem, then what our government needs to do is create a safe pathway for people to make their claims in Canada legitimately without forcing them to make those dangerous border crossings or what some people call an illegal border crossing as if they had any choice. So, you know, if the Canadian government would come out with a refugee program that would allow people to apply, would process them in a reasonable period of time and not throw up impossible barriers, that would fix the problem overnight. In your experience, do the majority of those trying to make that crossing come here because they have family to meet? I mean, do they already have support systems in Canada that they're coming to join? That was certainly the case of the, of the gentleman who, who tragically died before Christmas. He was coming to Canada to meet his family. Yeah, most people, that's the case. So when I see people that come through the U.S. to Canada preferring to make their claim here, it's usually for a number of fairly predictable reasons, one of them being that they have family here. If someone has immediate family members in Canada, they can actually bypass the safe third country agreement. They don't have to cross at Roxham Road. They could actually come to a regular port of entry and get an appointment and make a claim in in the regular way. So family is a big part of it. You also have the fact that, you know, Canada has French as a second language. So there are many people like Haiti, Haiti included, many people from various countries, you know, because French is their primary language, they obviously have some impetus to, you know, they would feel more comfortable in Canada and be able to settle here more quickly. You also have um, certain situations where the U.S. either doesn't recognize that type of claim or has a very low acceptance rate for that type of claim. For example, domestic violence, you know, women uh, fleeing domestic violence, uh, their, their chances to be accepted in Canada are much better. Certain people from the LGBT community as well uh, feel more comfortable making their uh, claim in Canada because the culture is a little bit more liberal here in that respect. Chantal Deloge is with us this half hour. She is a lawyer specializing in immigration and refugee law. We're talking about irregular crossings into Canada, uh, people uh, crossing over from the U.S. to claim refugee status here. We've seen it go the other way as well, uh, with often, again, uh, these can be very dangerous crossings. We saw a death before Christmas at the near the Roxham Road crossing in Quebec. Of course, there was that 
a well-publicized tragedy uh, last year in Manitoba with an Indian family crossing the other way into the U.S. from Canada, but it highlighted the dangers sometimes of these crossings. Uh, Chantal, this week, Pierre Poliev uh, announced that he, if elected, would close the Roxham Road crossing and try to streamline uh, this in a different way. What kind of impact might that have? Well, that's just going to force people into even more dangerous predicaments. It it is not going to solve the problem because when somebody is running for their life and trying to seek safety from persecution, they are going to find a way to do it regardless of the barriers that you put up. So you close Roxham Road, which I mean, look at how long the land border is between Canada and the U.S. and how many miles of unmanned border there is between our two countries. You close Roxham Road, you're just it's just going to mean people are going to cross in Manitoba. People are going to cross like wherever they can find a spot, they're going to use that. At least with Roxham Road, there is a safe path, which is recognizable. And when they get to the other side, they can make a claim in safety. You cross in the middle of the winter in Manitoba, you don't have that kind of facility. So you are going to see more deaths you're going to see more people taking risks. And in fact, it doesn't do anything good for the security of Canada to, to do something like that, because at least now when they reach the other side of the border, they report themselves to border services. They have a security check. They do their fingerprints. You wander across the border in the middle of the night in Manitoba. Nobody's checking you. Nobody even knows that you're here. So how does that help our security? It really doesn't. Again, we go back to the perception of this, because I, I, I get the sense it's going to become an issue we're going to talk about uh, coming up, because we've already seen it being talked about with the leader. You know, the, when we get to the next election, one presumes it'll be a battle, come down to a battle between the Liberals and the Conservatives. And they seem to have defined two very different stances on this idea of, of irregular border crossings. How do we continue to have a rational conversation about this? Because I think you're right. I think Canada still wants to be compassionate. Uh, I think we understand that other countries around the world are taking in huge numbers of migrants because of, you know, the variety of crises going on in the world. But we want to sort of find that balance between making sure that people are comfortable with with this whole notion of, of jumping the queue, so to speak, but also show compassion and at the same time, make sure that the country is secure. So is Roxham Road the answer? First of all, the, when we talk about jumping the queue, there is no queue. Uh, when it comes to refugees, there there's no such thing as jumping the queue because there isn't one. You either come here and you make your claim or else you're stuck in a foreign country for God only knows how long waiting for the UNHCR to eventually process you to go God knows where. I, I think the, the issue of having a rational discourse around this is that a lot of people – they don't have the relevant information or the knowledge to understand the reality of how these programs work. If more people would educate themselves about the choices or lack thereof that are actually available to asylum seekers, I think they would be a lot more sympathetic. My view is that the, the safe third country agreement should simply be trashed. The government should simply cancel it and then the Roxham Road issue disappears. Right. Uh, before the safe third country agreement, people could just come to the Canadian border, say, I'd like to make a refugee claim, and then you'd process them in a normal manner. The only the safe third country is forcing people to make these irregular border crossings. So if we got rid of it, that would really be a much simpler solution, which would be much more humane. 
I guess part of the issue here is that, you know, we do a lot of a lot of stories about, you know, Afghan interpreters who are trapped in Pakistan, can't make it here, so can't apply to get in. I mean, that's a separate stream, I know, but it feels like there are so many migrants out there, so many people who'd like to come to this country, that your ability to get to that crossing in Champlain, New York, seems like an unfortunate way to sort through those who should be able to come into this country and make a refugee claim that is and, and then be here while it's processed. Yeah, it, it's really a terrible situation. I mean, I, on one hand, I, I sympathize with the people who say that, you know, with the millions of refugees all over the world, I mean, Canada can only do so much. But the, the fact is that we take a very, very small number of the overall global intake of refugees. Uh, we certainly pull more than our weight, by the way. Um, I don't mean to say that Canada is shirking its responsibility. We do a lot more than other countries that have a way bigger population. Like per capita, we do pretty well. But, you know, we don't provide a pathway for those people to come here. The, the number of people that actually arrive on our shores is so infinitesimally small uh, that I think we're just making a mountain out of a molehill. And, you know, if, if we would do more to facilitate people being able to find peaceful resolutions in their own country overseas, and if we would accept more refugees through the overseas refugee sponsorship system, it would certainly decrease the demand of people having to try to make it here on their own. Well, Chantal Deloge, thank you so much for uh, for your insight on this. I appreciate it. Thank you so much.